You're listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. Salutations and greetings. Oh, and greetings Sarah. to you in kind. Thank you. How are you doing? I could go for a nap. <laughs> yeah, dude, I feel that every day. <laughs> I think it's just a winter thing. Yeah. You know what? That might be an incredibly helpful insight to my experience. For those that know me, it is probably a very tired fact that I like to bring up, ironically about being tired. Um, <laughs> that the cold, boy, it makes me sleepy. Mm. Oh, a little bit cold? It's a little bit chilly? Oh, I think I'm going to go take a nap. Like, that's me. <laughs> it's almost a joke. But I've noticed, like, over time, I get into, like, seasons of napping, which is not to use season in the traditional sense. Um, watch how confusing this is. This we could never subtitle this podcast, <laughs> um, but like eras of napping. Mm. It's like for for a f- several days, if not a couple weeks. I'm like I'm just in a nap mood, like all the time. I'm yeah. I'm gonna have an and I take pretty serious naps. Mm. One might call them miniature sleeps. <laughs> but I was thinking, like these are no ordinary <laughs> naps. It's like if, if it is true that I I go through these bouts of like really desiring nap it might well align with the actual seasons like it might be that i just tend to get this way the end of fall when winter is actually cold or something like that that might be all there is to it yeah yeah well we were talking about this just a little bit before we started recording that you know winter time it's darker yeah for longer and you know for most of human history when it got dark you were just done for the day you don't get to do anything yeah you don't have you know the electric light bulb you know, you you might have candles or things like that, but boy, you want to save those for yeah. when you really need them. You, know, you can't spend just, your wax just yeah. for fun. Yeah, come on now. So, you know, you kind of had this natural rhythm built into life, you know, the seasons yeah. Yeah. in the actual sense where it's like, yeah, we're just done and we're going to take it easy. And, and then here we are with the electric lights for which I am very grateful. Oh. But... You know, very much so. just, you know, you're, you're doing more when it's dark and you just gotta take those naps. Cold. Yeah, that's it. You just, <laughs> apparently you just got to take the naps. Yes. Cause you're, I mean, you know, I'm not going to bed at like 6 PM. Yeah. Like my full baths. Yeah. But instead I'm taking that nap at, at three. That's for sure. <laughs> <sighs> All gray and cold. Yeah. I need a nap. I need to curl up under a blanket and sleep. Uh, but I mean, that said, I'm very much enjoying this little bit of a, a warm reprieve. Yes. Yes. I mean, as of this recording, it is it is warmed up significantly like yeah. 50 plus degrees <laughs> yes. snow is gone seriously i was like thank you lord i was getting a hoodie out this morning i'm like how many layers do i want today and then i asked alexa and she's like upper upper 50s maybe high of 61 i'm like <laughs> no hoodie today that's right change of play i'm that's grateful to hear right. it amen on a different note, not a change of plans, what all. you came here to listen to, presumably, when you pulled up the podcast feed and saw what we were up about today, <laughs> this episode is sort of a sequel to the one we just did yes. on the unifying power of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Because even though true believers all believe and share the same one true gospel, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're all going to share it in exactly the same way to all different kinds of people. Yes, yeah. Yeah, the message always has to be the same, but the method of delivery may be different depending on the circumstances. Sure. So we could say that the true gospel unifies believers because its message is the same, even when the method of sharing it looks different. Because it can be easy to think that since the essence of the gospel's words are the same, content is the same, Who delivers it and the way we deliver it has to be the same too. 
you know, oh, right? Of course, right. Yeah. Like, clearly, that is the only correct way of doing it. Ah, yes, there right. There must be one correct way. <laughs> I follow Paul. There's one approved scripted way. If you go off script, yeah. it doesn't work. It's, it's ineffective. It's, it's just Paul. No, Paul is just Paul. That's right. right? Yes. That's yes. not familiar at all. You get up to the gates and they're like, well, wait a minute. You left out a word. No more. Doesn't count. None of it counted. No, that is actually not the case. Unity in message does not always mean unity of method. Mm. And in fact, here's what Paul had to say on that matter in the following verses from the passage we read in the last episode. So this is Galatians 2, verses 6 through 10. Mm. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, They recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, Peter, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed we should go to the Gentiles and they did the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I'd been eager to do all along. (laughs) All right, so for a little background, Paul is probably dealing here with a little problem that the Judaizers, who we mentioned in the last episode, Mm -hmm. have likely brought up, which is namely that Paul was a Johnny-come-lately apostle, right? He was, uh, in his own words, he was like one untimely born, (laughs) you know, because you have men like Peter, James, and John who were apostles that worked with Jesus directly during his earthly ministry. Yeah. And therefore, the thinking would go, they had preeminence over him. Of course. They're the pillars. First-hand account. Yeah, that's right. But Paul's point is that God does not care one iota about that sort of thing. Because <laughs> yeah. God, again, looks upon the heart. And it is he who authored the gospel, not Peter or James or John or even Paul. It is interesting that these two issues would be addressed together, like as uh, the correction applies to both, I, I would assume. Like no. the preeminence or position or hierarchy, it doesn't like a curry favor with God, as God knows the heart. Yeah. The same could be said of the manner in which they operated in different environments. Like he was not delivering an inferior gospel to the Gentiles. Right. Like, you know, so I think it's very interesting that they're kind of bundled together. The answer seems quite clearly the same in, in addressing both of those things. Like that is not a matter of preference or favoritism or something that is superior to a different method. Right. Yes. And I think that's a, a key note to draw out is because the apostles did like there was a sense that they had a unique authority insofar as yeah even paul was an eyewitness in that jesus christ appeared to him yeah right. and entrusted him with the gospel right. but to your point it's not that peter james and john had a superior gospel because yeah yeah oh well they were you know with jesus in a different way and then they preached to the jews and paul's out here you know untimely born and off the gentiles you know like no 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 like they're all sharing the same gospel. Yeah. And so they're all on, a, on an even playing field in that regard. But they were sharing it in different ways to different groups of people. Mm-hmm. And so what mattered was not the manner so much as the message itself. And on the message itself, they were absolutely unified. And they demonstrated that unity by love offering for the poor. That was actually a tangible expression of their unity. Yeah. That was a big deal. It was part of the offering they made for famished saints in Jerusalem at that time which is what Paul is referring to at the end of that passage. Mm-hmm. And um, if you're curious, it's most likely coincident with Acts 11.30, if you want to go look that up later. Okay. But we can use an example from Paul's own ministry to demonstrate more concretely what we're talking about here. Because when Paul did preach to the Jews, it's interesting they bring that up, because he did preach to the Jews. Yeah. And Peter preached to the Gentiles. In fact, the first major Gentile convert, Cornelius, Peter, went to him. <laughs> That's very interesting. So this isn't, that isn't a statement of absolute 
you know, delineation. Yeah. It's just that yeah. Peter ended up having more of a focus on mm-hmm. the Jews and Paul more than the Gentiles. Because when Paul did preach to the Jews, he would share the same gospel of salvation by grace through faith in Christ, right? But his method was different. In those cases, he would typically go into the synagogue or the gathering place of the Jewish people, read from the Old Testament scriptures, and then argue from those scriptures that Jesus was the promised Messiah who was prophesied in those scriptures yeah. and therefore believe in him. I can't help but think of 1 Corinthians 9 about like yeah. becoming all things to all people. And, and the fact like he, quote, used his freedom, mm-hmm. which is an interesting theme from last episode, yeah. to do so as he lists like the variety of, of manner and context in which he shared the gospel. Like it's, you know, it's very clearly like this consistent theme throughout in, in various points of scripture. Yes, yes. And then to that point then, Paul would do that, but almost every single time the Jews just rejected him. That's and not only did they reject him, they would like run him out of town, pelt him with stones, try to get him thrown in prison, all bummer. this stuff. Yeah. Big bummer. So Paul was most effective and fruitful when he preached to the Gentiles. Yeah. I mean, that's where he was getting all of his converts. And when he went to the Gentiles and preached the same gospel, like in Acts 17, as an example of this, He didn't start with the scriptures. Yeah, because why would you? Yeah, right. Instead, he went into the marketplace and reasoned his way from nature and from their religious inclinations and even from their own poets. I love that so much. Yeah, to the fact that there must be a true God they didn't know. In fact, they even had an altar to an unknown God. Mm -hmm. He's like, well, I'm here to tell you about him and that this God has actually revealed himself in a man named Jesus. And God has set a day on which he will judge the living and the dead you know, believe in him and repent. Mm -hmm. So the essence of the message doesn't change. It's turn toward God, trust in Christ, repent of your sins. But the method changed based on who he was talking to and where he was. Yeah. So the way in which the word of God is shared may change, but the word of God itself doesn't. And so likewise with us, okay? So the way that I as a pastor share the gospel with our church week after week is going to be different from the way you will share the gospel with your agnostic coworker or your secular philosophy professor or your new age neighbor, mm-hmm. right? And it ought to be. It must be the same gospel. Again, you know, the essence, repent of your sin, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's what you see summarized in Acts so often. But the way in which you share it may change depending upon who you're sharing it with and where you are. I really like that example, especially, because I feel like it may be a less than generous negative read of this type of conversation could be like, oh, you're just like addressing it up differently, like for a different sales pitch or something. It almost, you could spin that negatively in a way that almost feels manipulative, but that's very much not the heart of what's right. happening here. And I think that example, like right there, how you would function in a pastoral role is going to be functionally different. It's just, it's it's operating in a different way yep. than a personal one-on-one conversation is going going to function. Right. It just naturally like it takes on life in, in, a, in a different manner. The type of dialogue yes. is different. So yes. I don't know. I kind of wanted to throw emphasis on that because I think that's kind of helpful uh, to keep in mind. Right. Right. It is. And I mean, you could take, here's an extremely concrete example from recent history, the conversion of a woman named Rosaria Butterfield. And it's interesting because it's easy to tell, I'll preface this, these success stories, quote unquote, where this stuff is like, oh, it's amazing and it's this great thing. And it is. It's like, it's something worth celebrating. But the same thing with like the Apostle Paul, like there weren't a ton of people like him who converted like he did. Yeah. That doesn't mean you stop doing this sort of thing. It's just a preface say like, God can work through these things. Yeah. Even if you don't see it right away, then, you know, don't spare, don't stop. But Rosaria Butterfield, back to her. She was once upon a time 
professor of English and women's studies at Syracuse University. And in her own words, she's written a number of books, really great books. She led a happy, productive, meaningful life as a lesbian. And in 1997, something remarkable happened to her. She wrote an editorial aimed at Promise Keepers, which I don't know if they're even around anymore, but it was a Christian ministry for men. She wrote an editorial aimed at them. And in response as you can imagine, received equal parts fan mail and hate mail, right? So, in fact, she was getting so many letters that she kept a Xerox box on either side of her desk, and one was for fan mail and one was for hate mail. So it's like, you know, throw one in there, throw one in there, you know, nice little categorizing system. But then one day she received a letter that defied her filing system, and it was from a pastor in her area named Ken Smith. And in his letter, he didn't attempt to argue with her or even attempt to convert her to Christianity right away. He simply asked her some questions. Like, how did you arrive at your interpretations of some of those scripture passages you referenced? And why do you believe the way you do? Like, where, where is that coming from? And then he invited her to his home for dinner. Mm-hmm. Well, that letter sat on her desk and nagged at her. Like, she didn't know which, which box to put it in um, until finally she couldn't resist and she accepted his invitation to come over for dinner. And she found him just as kind and respectful in person as in his letter, and they developed a friendship. And it was a friendship in which, eventually, she started attending his church, and so they'd been having these one-on-one conversations at the dinner table, but then she was also hearing him preach, which is a completely different mode. You know, there's not—that's not so much dialogue as in he was— I believe when she was converted, he was preaching through the Gospel of John. Hmm. And all that is to say is she did come to know the truth of Jesus, repent of her sin, and follow him with— all her heart, and that happened because Ken Smith didn't share the message of Jesus with Rosaria in the same way during those dinnertime conversation. Yeah. He would have, when he was preaching to the church, and when he was preaching to the church and she was there, he was preaching to the church, but that was also happening in the context of one-on-one conversations that were different. And so he shared the same gospel, but he modified his method of sharing it to most effectively reach a woman like Rosaria, a woman for whom the manner of the message mattered just as much as the message itself. I have a huge soft spot for like how much can happen over a shared meal. Like, yeah, I just kind right. of love that. <laughs> that's like not the point of what I want to say, but I'm just like, I like that that's an element of the story very much. I know like literally nothing about Ken Smith. I've never heard his name before, aside from the fact that it sounds like a generic name. <laughs> <laughs> Who expect him to make like documentaries <laughs> with... <laughs> but I do very much, you know, appreciate the posture and, and disposition he engaged with. Like, I think that's really very admirable. And weirdly, it kind of dovetails with the manner of our message episode that we did mm-hmm. recently. <laughs> it's yeah. like, that. I don't know if this was planned, but that's, this is a nice unit. Yeah. Um, but that said, I would I would still agree with it, uh, even if she never changed her mind. Because like, like you said, Paul did not convince every, gen, you know, every right. Gentile or Jew that he spoke to. He had more success here than there. And even if in spite of the maybe lack of success here or there, uh, it didn't stop him from sharing the gospel in a manner that was relevant to their context or a way that showed Christ to, you know, whoever he was with. Right. Yeah. And that is a huge point to remember is even on the Acts 17, Mars Hill and the Areopagus episode, Mm -hmm. he got extremely low numbers of converts during that (laughs) that time. Like that's held up as one of the prime examples. And (laughs) so few. Yeah. And he basically just leaves. He's like, all right, well, this is like, this is not going to be a fruitful place for me to spend a ton of time right now. Yeah. Um, you know, like, so I'm going to move on to the next place, but, but that didn't stop him from yeah. doing that wherever he went. You know, right. I mean, he writes about that, as you pointed out, in First Corinthians 9. Mm-hmm. So, again, to, to kind of encapsulate all this, the true gospel always unifies believers because of its freeing simplicity in that it unifies us 
because it's the same message centered on the same God and Lord. And it frees us because it's not complex and there are different ways you can share it. You know, it's not a lofty philosophical argument that you have to perfectly articulate. Okay, yeah. Right? It's not a list of demands that you first have to meet in order to even get a chance of seeing God. Mm -hmm. What we're really trying, I think, to bring people to in the message and with the method, however we end up having to do that, it's to simply heed the words of Jesus when he said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Mm. So, you know, no matter where we've been or what we've done or who we are, as you know, we like to say, <laughs> you know, we can unite around the most important thing in the universe, which is the triune God himself made known to us in Christ, who was always meant to be our first love. And we can share that message in a number of ways without compromising that message yeah. that will be more fruitful than others for some people. Yeah. So even if uh, there's not unity necessarily in method at all times, we do have the unity of that message, which is very good news. Indeed. So thank you as always for listening. If you have any questions on this or any other topic, as always, feel free to email us at podcast at horizonschurch.net. Mm-hmm. And if you want to leave us an honest five-star review, I mean, that's one method. You know, you can also <laughs> yeah. I mean, appreciate, you know, when you come up and say hi and thanks and all that, you know, that's also great. Absolutely. So whatever you want to do. But at any rate, thank you as always for listening, and we will catch you next time. Mm-hmm.